1: Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period, whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Sports Garden Network podcast, your source
0: for sports entertainment and incredible sports wagering intelligence. Welcome sports fans, this is Wagering Week. I'm Tom Barton, that's right, we are Wagering Week. Facebook and Twitter, that's how you get in touch with us. It's Sports Garden. G-A-R-T-E-N, 855, the number 4, G-A-R-T-E-N, iTunes, iHeartRadio, any of our fine syndicated affiliates, that is how you get in touch with us. Guys, we have a lot to do today, let me tell you, it is week 2 of the NFL. We're going to go over all the games, I have stats, I have trends, I have against against the spread numbers and overreactions. We love to talk about that because after week one, people are freaking out. They hate one team. They love another team. The Houston Texans are going to the Super Bowl. All right, maybe not that far, but that is the problem. Everybody overreacts after week one, and I'm going to be here to settle down. And I love week two, and let me tell you why I love week two. From a betting standpoint, a handicapper's mindset, week two is fantastic, because of the overreactions the public overreacts which means that the sports books overreact knowing that the public's going to overreact which is where I come in and I go okay look I see some value and I do see a lot of value when we're breaking all these games down and that's what we're gonna do we're gonna break every game down we're gonna go over everything in the world of week two and we're gonna start it off right away with the Thursday Night football game Giants in Washington. Talk about a little overreaction. Well, the Giants opened up as four-and-a-half-point favorite uh, underdogs. Now, they're only three-point underdogs with Washington being the home favorite. The number's still falling. You can probably catch under three out there, and a lot of this has to do with the quarterback change. Ryan Fitzpatrick goes down. He's going to be out for a couple of weeks, so Taylor Haneke comes in here, and he's going to be the starter for Washington. Here's the thing. Look, this is a guy that looked massively impressive in the playoff game last year. And you could tell me it's a one-off, and I believe that. I believe that Washington went out and they got themselves Ryan Fitzpatrick because they didn't believe Taylor Heineke could start the entire year. They didn't believe that he would be the guy that you want as your quarterback if you're looking at big things, maybe Super Bowl, maybe playoffs. But they certainly kept him around saying, you know what, Ryan Fitzpatrick is an older quarterback. He can get injured. We have no problem filling in uh, Taylor here for a game or two or five or six or whatever it is. And let me tell you this. I love Ryan Fitzpatrick. Look, he went to Harvard. I'm a Harvard guy. I'm through and through. I like everything Ryan Fitzpatrick does. You guys heard me scream about Fitzmagic time and time again, but Taylor Heineke knows Scott Turner's offense. He knows it better than Ryan Fitzpatrick. He has a uh, elusiveness that can lead to additional plays. His elusiveness works really well with his running back Gibson, with his speed receivers. I'm not saying that Taylor Heineke is better than Ryan Fitzpatrick, but he may be a better fit. And this might be that spot where we all look back and we go, wow, you know what? That's when he stole the job because he went out there and he was able to handle the Giants. You know, you talk about the New York Giants, and what they bring to the table, they're going to have to stop Antonio Gibson. And Ron Rivera in the offseason talked about Antonio Gibson, and he said he's another CMC. You know, he's going to be that kind of workhorse. It it, kind of worked out, right? Antonio Gibson, 83% of the snaps to Patterson's 10, McKissick's about 6.5, right? So you look at what he did, 108 total yards. Giants are going to have to stop that. Now, the Giants' defense is solid, but they do have problem areas, and one of the problem areas are playmaking speed guys out of the backfield. That is Mr. Gibson here, okay? And that's Gibson when you look at this and you go, "Uh uh-oh, but let's talk about the Giants because I'm not burying them here either. When this line was four and a half, even if it had Ryan Fitzpatrick, I would be weary. It's a Thursday. It's a short week. Now, a backup quarterback, even though he's, you know, a— Experienced backup quarterback, still a backup quarterback on a short week, and you're going in the division and you're giving points in a division game. Saquon Barkley was limited in week one. He'll be a little bit more limited in week two, but he can have that big pop play. The Giants also have won five in a row in this series, and Daniel Jones against the spread. At home, he's four and ten against the spread. On the road, he's nine and four. Daniel Jones looked okay. And the Giants have playmakers. Make no mistake, this team has playmakers. Evan Ingram's actually going to be uh, out for Thursday night, but they do have playmakers. This is a dangerous spot. Washington's the better coach team. Washington has the better defense. Washington is at home. Washington should be favored. But the Giants have just enough pop. Just enough pop with Saquon Barkley. Just enough pop with a Kenny Galladay to make me a little nervous about this game. All right, let's move down the list, and we'll keep it in New York, right? Why not? The New England Patriots opened up as four-point favorites on the road in New York, and now it's up to five and a half. It's going up to six, and I'm telling you, if you guys are listening Sunday morning, it might be a touchdown. The world seems to be on New England. I can't really disagree with them. Look, it's the battle of the rookie quarterbacks, but only one of them has a massive advantage. Bill Belichick's teams are 21 and 6 against rookie quarterbacks since he's taken over in 2000. That's massive, guys. Okay? That is absolutely massive. And you talk about what did he do recently? Even with his depleted defense last year, a lot of them sat out because of COVID held rookie of the year, Justin Herbert, to 209 yards passing and Tua to 145 yards passing. That's pretty big. Now, all of a sudden, Miami's defense, even in week one and even in a a loss, you can see um, against Miami, this Bill Belichick defense looked really good, right? This Bill Belichick defense looked, oh, wow, got some young guys. He invested massive draft capital, and then New England did what they never do and went out and spent money this offseason. It was Mac Jones' first attempt against a playoff caliber defense and a guy that absolutely knows the system in Brian Flores. Now they get the New York Jets. And this is a Bill Belichick team that often abuses the Jets, right? I mean, that's just what it is. Let's look at the Jets as well. Wilson completed 54% of his passes and Jones 74%. But Wilson, everyone's going, you know what, he looked really good. He got sacked twice, but he's got the playmaking ability. And I think Wilson did look good. How good is he going to look with a step up in competition when we are talking about a defense of New England is just better than a defense in Carolina? You also have the big left tackle, which I think people are overlooking how huge this is. Mackay Becton is expected to be out for four to six weeks. Knee surgery, cleanup, damage, cartilage, and whatnot. That's their best offensive lineman is going to be out against New England and Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick is salivating from both sides of his mouth. He gets to go up against a rookie quarterback who just lost his left tackle. Guys, this is the makings of something ouch if you're talking about a betting perspective. Since 2003, by the way, Bill Belichick off of a regular season loss, 44-20-0. That's just about 69% against the spread. He had success with Brady, but he also had success with Castle and Newton. Castle and Newton, 8-6 and six against the spread coming off of regular season loss. So this is about Belichick. I know that's an increasing line, and I wish you could have grabbed it at four because that was a beautiful line. And I know it's an increasing line, and you are with the public, and you don't like to be with the public, but sometimes the public wins. I can't make a case for the Jets in this case. I just can't do it. Not in this spot. Let's talk about Denver at Jacksonville. The conversation is, is Urban Meyer leaving to go to USC And he said, no chance, but do we believe Urban Meyer? I mean, he's not exactly the most uh, truth telling guy in sports, right? So I would say at least there's a little distraction in this spot, right? At least there's a little off the field distraction. The number sits at six. Everybody loves to bet Teddy Bridgewater and why not, right? Teddy Bridgewater was great last week. He had the second highest completion percentage in week one. He also had 78% completion percentage is ridiculous. Teddy Bridgewater also finished off with a passer rating of 115.7, which is fantastic. Teddy Bridgewater—he's almost an automatic play for sports betters. He's 35 and 13 against the spread as a record as a starter. I talked about it a couple of years ago, and it was tongue-in-cheek, but it really wasn't. I said just blindly bet Teddy Bridgewater every single game because the guy is is just money. He's 13 and 7 against the spread as a favorite, 4 and 1 against the spread as a road favorite. Teddy Bridgewater is almost an automatic play. But the line is going up. And there are some things to not like about Denver here. First of all, they're on the road. That's already a big a big thing. And you talk about, think about breathing the air in Denver and breathing the air in Jacksonville. And before you just kind of brush that aside, remember Sean Payton, one of the reasons why Sean Payton picked Jacksonville to have that alternate site is because Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers are not used to that thick, humid, you know, eat the air kind of Jacksonville heat. Now, all of a sudden you go from Denver to Jacksonville. It's going to be a, a little bit of a bump up as well. So they're on the road going to a different kind of environment, a different kind of weather environment. Eh, it's bad you have a lot of people on Denver where this line opened up at about five and a half. It's up to six and a half. That's a problem. And Teddy Bridgewater for all that he's done and all the greatness and great week one and amazing against the spread and all of that, that you look at with Teddy Bridgewater. You also have to bring up the idea that he just lost his number one receiver. Now I like Cortland Sutton. I like KJ Hamler. I like Noah Fant, but Jerry Judy is a massive piece to this offense that now is lost. So I can't sit here and make a great, compelling argument for Jacksonville other than to say, look, they're at home. I would throw away game one where Urban Meyer, it was his first game in pro ball. It was on the road. It was in division on the road. And Trevor Lawrence had some issues. He had some turnovers. But the guy still looked fantastic at times he's got a bevy of receivers I think it's a dangerous game for Denver here and I will tell you this if Denver wins here and they go 2-0 we we'll talk about overreactions watch the overreaction for week three let's talk about a really good game here and this is this to me is one of the best games if not the best game of the day the Buffalo Bills traveling to Miami to take on the Dolphins Though everybody in the world expects Josh Allen and the Bills to right the ship, be perfectly fine, here we go, go one and one. And the line tells you it opened up at three and a half, and 70% of the bets are coming in on the Bills early on, and you just see, whoa, wait a minute, as of Wednesday, 90% of the bets were coming in on the Bills at DraftKings. What? 90%. And the line went from three and a half to three. This sets off every alarm I have as a sports handicapper. This is a division game. This is on the road. This is the Miami Dolphins with a very good defense. And this is 90% of the, 91 to be exact, 90% of the spread bets are coming in on the Buffalo Bills and the number falls from three and a half to three. Uh, Let's repeat that again. Everyone's loading up and the number's falling. That tells me something. Josh Allen does own Miami. He's five and one is a starter against Miami. Okay. That's a problem. And bills have won five straight against Miami, but the dolphins have covered in all five of those games, right? All five of the straight games, the dolphins have covered. They continue to cover. They covered last week. They continue to cover. Okay. You look at this dolphins team, they're very well coached. They have a good defense. Their running game is a problem. And doesn't that remind you of somebody? Some other team in the league, perhaps? Yeah. It reminds me of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Miami reminds me a lot of Pittsburgh. You are at this stage in the game questioning Tua, and you're questioning Big Ben, right? For different reasons. is too young. You're not sure if he's the real deal. Big Ben's too old. We're not sure if he's got anything left in the tank. But you look at uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers and you go, all right, their running game has some talent. I don't really know if it's going to be able to carry the day. Well, Miles Gaskins in the running game for Miami and Brown and whatnot, Uh, they have a lot of talent. I'm not sure if they're going to be able to carry the day. Miami's offensive line is better than Pittsburgh's offensive line. Uh, But the correlation there is, you know what? Miami's not a top offensive line and Pittsburgh is certainly not a top offensive line. You look at the playmakers. Pittsburgh's got three great playmaking receivers, okay? They have all kinds of talent. Juju is, yeah, he's a distraction off the field, but all three of them have a lot of talent with Johnson and Claypool. Then you look at Miami. Wow, there's a lot of talent there in Miami. Devontae Parker and Waddle. Waddle looked really good. You go, hold on a second. There's a lot of correlations there. And then you go to the defense. Look, Pittsburgh's defense is number one in the league. With a bullet, uh, T.J. Watt. There's nobody in the league like T.J. Watt at this point, so I'm not going to try to make that comparison. Other than to say, Miami last year in a lot of statistical categories was a top five defense. They got, went out, they got a little bit better personnel. Flores has them. It wouldn't shock me to see Pittsburgh end number one overall defensively in Miami, and you know number four or five. So their teams are very similar, and then you go to the coaches. Mike Tomlin, a really underrated coach. He's really good, and you got to put him in the top five. And I look at Brian Flores, I think he's massively underrated, and I think he's that budding superstar coach. So what bothered the Bills last week? A team that is designed just like Miami. And you're looking at this, and you're going, I know everybody likes the Bills. I had the Bills running away with this division. Okay, I think Josh Allen certainly can go out there and win an MVP. And I think the Bills tried to get him that MVP last week, right? He was just throwing all over the place. But things that I didn't see last year with the Bills, which held them back, I still didn't see this year with the Bills, which I think was a problem in Game 1. Can they correct it for Game 2? I don't believe in Devin Singletary carrying the rock and being a threat there. I just don't. I think the Buffalo Bills have some line deficiencies. And I'm not just judging this because the Pittsburgh Steelers were fantastic. No, they do have some line deficiencies, okay? Um, And and whether you want to say it's great by the Steelers or bad by them, look, most pressures by a pass rusher in week one, Cameron Hayward is one, Armstead's two, Watts three, Melvin Ingram's four. Three of the top four came from the Steelers, okay? Um And the Steelers' bad offensive line only allowed 17% of rushes. So, Buffalo had a problem getting to the quarterback last week. Buffalo had a problem stopping people getting to Josh Allen last week. Now you take on a Miami team that really, in correlation, is very, very close to Pittsburgh. So, I am sitting here telling you that I think Buffalo probably wins the game. But I'm also sitting here, and I'm talking to the 91% of you out there that went out and jumped all over Buffalo. Because, guys, this spread went the other way. Miami catching three at home. They're at home. It's a division game. It's a team that might frustrate them just the same way that Pittsburgh did. Let's talk about Pittsburgh. Well, everybody loves the Raiders, right? Oh, man, they won twice in overtime. Derek Carr looked good. Waller looked fantastic. Uh, Let's pump the brakes here. If you watch the game... Derek Carr didn't look very good, okay? He looked okay. And they're going up against a defense that doesn't have Marcus Peters, their number one cornerback, and they lost him late in in the year. So it's a scramble to kind of fix what he's doing and what he is. The Raiders also, oh, you know what? They went to Darren Waller, and this is fantastic. They went to Darren Waller and gave him nearly 20 attempts, and he caught about half of them, okay? His numbers look great, sure, Caught about half of them. So this line opened up at six and a half. It dropped down to six. And then it dropped down to five and a half. And people are betting the Raiders. Raiders are on a short week. Raiders have to travel across the country to Pittsburgh. They got to go to Heinz Field, which is a tough place to play. The Steelers, meanwhile, by the way, have the things that could bother the Raiders. And the things that could bother the Raiders is a massive pass rush. I just mentioned it. Hayward, Watt, and Ingram are... Three of the top four pass rushers to get to the quarterback and most pressures on a passer in the league. Three of the four of them. Three of the four of them coming from Pittsburgh. That's incredible. Now, Max Crosby on the other side had 13 pressures against the Ravens. That's the most against all defenders. I look at that as a problem of the Ravens' offensive line. You go, well, the Steelers' offensive line is supposed to be a problem this year, so Max Crosby will live in that backfield. It'll be great. Well, the Steelers allowed a pressure on just 17.1% of their dropbacks in week one. That's the third lowest in the league. Okay. So you look at it and you go, well, the Raiders, okay, generated a pressure on 60% of their dropbacks. That's the highest rate in the league. This should be a battle to see if the Steelers' offensive line really just peaked last week or if they are rebuilt a little bit. The Steelers, by the way, 11 regular season road victories when trailing in the second half by 10 points or more. It was a great comeback by Big Ben. Great comeback by Big Ben. And you look at what they did. that could be a team builder, right? That, the, the fashion in which they won could be a team builder. But going back to what I said about Buffalo, Buffalo was in charge of that game at the half. Buffalo was in charge of that game going into the third quarter and into the third quarter. The Steelers, uh, exactly. When you look at it, it was the other way. Steelers didn't show up for the first half. You don't show up for the first half against the Raiders. You know what? They got a better offense uh, than what we watch. And eh, maybe you're behind too much. Maybe you can't come back. That's a problem. Right? I mean, that's a problem. Now, Pittsburgh's used to this. They have five wins when trailing at halftime. That's tied for the most in the NFL since the start of 2020. We understand that. But it's still not something that you want to go lay points with. I think Pittsburgh or nothing here. Pittsburgh is at home. The travel from Las Vegas on a short week to Pittsburgh is enough for me already. I do love the idea that Hayward and Watt and Ingram and company will be living in Derek Carr's face. My only concern here, and it is a giant concern, is I don't believe in this Steelers offensive line. I don't know what happened in Buffalo. I don't know why they were like that in Buffalo. I don't know what happened that they were able to to really just play completely above their heads. But I think it might come back a little bit. I do worry a little bit about Max Crosby. Pittsburgh gets the win, laying six, five and a half even, a little little bit cautious and makes me a little bit nervous there. All right, let's take a quick timeout. Come on back. Lots more right after this on Wagering Week. The NFL is back in action, and so is winning season at MyBookie. With over $500,000 in contest prize money, winning season makes the big games better and the victories even sweeter. Head to MyBookie.ag and choose from a variety of boosts, contests, and promotions up for grabs highlighted by the crown jewel of winning season, the famed MyBookie Super Contest. It costs only $10 to enter. Pick five games against the spread each week. Each win earns you a point and each point gets you closer to the grand prize. If you missed out on week one, don't even sweat it because entries are still open and all it takes is one solid week to get you back in the mix. Don't just take my word for it. Join now and start your winning season with MyBookie today. In order to get started, make your first deposit at MyBookie.ag and use promo code WAGERWEEK to instantly receive double your deposit. That's double your money to double your winnings with your first deposit using promo code WagerWeek. bet anything anytime anywhere with my bookie
1: and now back to wagering week with tom barton i'll bet you 20 bucks i can get to gambling before the
0: end of the day no way i'll give you three to one odds you're right what are the odds what are the odds well i have the updated afc north odds after all that went on. And the Baltimore Ravens, plus 155, are still the favorites. Cleveland, they're also 0-1, plus 160. The Pittsburgh Steelers, despite being 1-0... and Three to one odds and the Cincinnati Bengals. Nobody believes in them. They are 12 to 1 odds. That is what are the odds. All right, guys, let's continue to go into it. And look, that there's no reaction on the futures odds, right? But how about some overreactions? And let's talk about the San Francisco 49ers at the Philadelphia Eagles. Well, San Francisco's an interesting team here because Look, you know, it was going to be Trey Lance. It was going to be Garoppolo. Then now it's one play Trey. That's what they're talking about. They lose... Uh, Raheem Mostert, for the season, he decides to go out there. He had a chip cartilage in his knee. He's going to head to IR. They said he's going to be ready in eight weeks. He said, nope, I'm getting surgery. That's it. I'll come back next year as a free agent. So he's out for the year. But Kyle Shanahan loves to use running backs anyway, right? So he's got Trey Sermon behind him. He's got Hasty behind him. And he's got this kid Mitchell behind him. So he's got an array, even though it looks like a bad injury, he's got an array of backups that can step in. This line opened up at 3.5, it fell down to 3, and people do like Philly in this spot. And I go, let me go look at the line. What was the line going to be before the season for this game? Everybody was high on San Francisco, Philadelphia, a team they were unsure about. Well, for this game, guys, the line was supposed to be close to six. So that means there is an overreaction from the sports books. There is an overreaction. Jalen Hurts looked really good, and the Eagles' defense held down Atlanta. You know, you look at the Eagles, though. They rushed for 173 yards in Week 1. So as much as this was the Jalen Hurts coming out party, a lot of it was him doing it on the ground, right? Uh, you can't expect 173 yards. You can't expect that kind of success against this San Francisco team. I wonder, Miles Sanders, who was on the injury report this week, I wonder if Sanders is a guy that can control the clock. Can Hurts help him out and control the clock? That's an interesting bet. Eight and one against the spread, the last nine, that is the Eagles against the Niners. Now, I don't love stats and trends that are not in division, but this is an in-conference. They play enough that maybe you go, okay, I could take something out of this. Let's talk about the betting numbers, okay? Because 70% of the bets, 69% of the money. Um, you look at 92% of the money is coming in on the under. 70% of the bets, 69% of the money is coming in on Philadelphia. The Philadelphia money line is getting pounded, okay? 65% of the bets coming in on the, the Philadelphia Eagles money line. And I like that. Look, if you're getting three, you know, just give me uh, the, the the plus the money. But I think this is a Philadelphia Eagles overreaction. And look, maybe I'll be proven wrong here. I'm not somebody that is going out there and jumping all over the Niners. You know, I'm in the circuit contest and I'm in the the Westgate contest. And I didn't take the Niners in this spot. But they were the one team I decided to leave off. So they were my sixth team. I didn't like giving the three and a half in those contests. At three, I still don't love it. But I think San Francisco is a better team than people giving them credit for. They struggled against the Lions, but they struggled in a game against the Lions where they had full control of the game most of the game. And we watched a lot of teams sort of fall apart late. And because they fell apart late, sports bettors all are running to the other side, right? Oh, it's a giant overreaction. I'm not going with that theory here. I think that San Francisco was completely in control. I loved what I saw from their offense. Their defensive secondary is going to be a problem this year. We spoke about that two weeks ago, and we spoke about that again last week. Their secondary might be a problem this year. Do I think that Jalen Hurts going through the air is going to be able to hurt them? I really don't. We just talked about their running game. So if you believe that Philadelphia is going to be able to pass the ball here, yeah, you're all over the Eagles plus the points. If you are hoping that has success that they did last week and that is run the ball into the ground and control the clock and play great defense, I think you're asking for a lot. This is going to be a San Francisco team that they're going to score. And I don't think you're going to run on them with any kind of consistency. So in that case, I lean San Francisco, but I wanted to give you guys the idea that, you know what? We're in the Westgate contest. I pulled out. That was my that was my sixth team. You could only have five, which means I don't feel that confident about it. And the number was three and a half. All right, let's talk about a team that everybody saw one thing, and now the narrative is something else. And that's the Rams, who now opened up as a four-point favorite. It's up to five and a half in some, some spots on the road against Indianapolis now Indianapolis looked bad and the Rams oh they look like Super Bowl champs well at least that's what the national media is saying I didn't see it that way guys what I watched from a Rams team is a team that going into the fourth quarter was struggling against the Bears yes the Bears lost by 20 they pulled away when they needed to Uh, Matthew Stafford looked really good you're right But the Bears ran all over this team. I mean, all over them. And now Jonathan Taylor and the Colts come in with that good offensive line. This is something interesting. The Colts dominated time of possession in week one. They just couldn't finish it off the drives and get touchdowns. So, again... I saw a Rams deficiency. I saw Montgomery have a huge game against this Rams front seven. I saw them run with efficiency, even with Damian Williams. The Bears ran well. Now the Colts come in. They dominate a time of possession. The Colts come in, and they have a good running game. They have a very, very good run offensive line. And you go, you know, They're getting no credit here. They're also, by the way, at home. The Rams, they're a 500 team on the road the last two years. So this isn't a traveling team. They still have some moving parts. The big thing is Matthew Stafford. He did. He averaged 12.3 yards per attempt against the Bears. That's the highest yards per attempt against the Bears defense since Brett Favre in 2004, okay? Um, You go back and the highest quarterback throwing More than 20 touchdown passes since 1981. Eric Hipple. Yeah, that's some good research right there. Eric Hipple. So Matthew Stafford beat up on a Bears team that I think have bad defensive backs. And I mentioned that this year. He beat up on a Bears team that he took advantage of some really, really good matchup problems. Cooper Cup had a good game. He absolutely took advantage of that. I think Stafford's going to be good here. I'm not taking that away from them, but they can't run the ball, and then they become a one-trick pony. Indianapolis can run the ball, and I think they will run the ball, and I think they own time of possession here. Is it enough for them to punch it in? And that really is the kind of the question that we're asking. Do you believe that Indy can hold the ball and run with Jonathan Taylor enough to get this done? All right, Cincinnati against the Bears. Bears open up at three-and-a-half point favorites. People are on Cincinnati. The line moved back to three. I watched it go down to two-and-a-half. And I've heard in Atlantic City you could get it at two in some spots. So people are all over Cincinnati, and why not, right? Joe Burrow looked great, and Joe Mixon had eight rushing uh, missed tackles, and that was all of a sudden leading the NFL in week one, so Mixon looks good. Joe Burrow looks fantastic. He's thrown a Jamar Chase who couldn't catch a cold in the offseason, and he's got a slew of receivers, and watch this. But, But wait a minute. Again, did anybody watch the game? Because if you watch the game, Cincinnati didn't look good for most of the game. Cincinnati, this was a game where they kind of came storming back and all of a sudden, because of Joe Burrow, of course, but this wasn't a game where Cincinnati went out there and overly impressed me. Their defense didn't overly impress me. And we talk about the Bears. I just said it. Look, the Bears were more than a touchdown underdog against the Rams. Going into the, the fourth quarter, this game was still in question. Chicago had some things working. Chicago was ripping off big runs. Chicago, if they stayed on the ground, probably would have kept this thing even closer. Chicago went for it on fourth down a couple of times where they probably shouldn't have. Chicago knew they had to score. Not against Cincy. Not at Soldier Field. They don't have that feeling. And you also have to remember that, that Chicago, look, they looked bad because it was prime time. That always helps. They looked bad because it was Matthew Stafford and the Rams. That always helps. Look at the competition difference, between, even if you like the Bengals, between the Bengals and the Rams. And even if you like Joe Burrow, you have to understand, their offensive line is weak. The Bears are going to get after him. Matt Nagy's team, by the way, 7-3-1 in the last 11 home games against a team with a winning record. Uh, He he does well, especially in a bounce-back spot like this. The Bengals are 1-4 and against the spread in the last five games following a win. They don't know how to win yet. You can tell me it's a different experience with Joe Burrow. That's fine. I'm going to throw this out at you. Andy Dalton played a lot of years in Cincinnati, guys. Now, I don't think this is the Andy Dalton revenge tour. He's been out of there long enough. It's a different kind of understanding. But Andy Dalton is the quarterback of this team. And for better or for worse, as much as we all like Justin Fields, he is the guy. You go out there, you look at this situation, and you go, you know what? I think he's got a little revenge factor in the back of his mind. That all adds up to me saying, you know, the Bears here, I don't understand why the line is dropping like a rock. I know people like Cincinnati, but do you really trust them on the road in Soldier Field? The Bears are, are still a 500 team or maybe a, a wild card kind of team. They still are that team. You trust them. In that spot, I don't trust the Bengals in that spot. All right, Houston, Cleveland, this number's rising. It opened up at 11.5, crossed over 12, gets to 12.5, even 13. I don't think it goes much higher than that. This is a large spread for a team, oh, by the way, 0-1 against 1-0. Houston, this is a team that we all thought was going to be bad. They went out there. They blitzed Jacksonville. They've beaten Jacksonville now six times in a row. Uh, David Tully looked good. Tyrod Taylor looked good. This team looked, looked good. But the competition was Jacksonville. It was a rookie quarterback. It was at home, and it was against a rookie head coach in the NFL. So take it for what it was. We knew Houston was going to be able to run the ball, and they had some success running the ball. We knew Brandon Cooks was going to be a special player, and certainly he was. The competition level from the Kansas City Chiefs, that's the Browns opponent week one, to Houston, is maybe the biggest gap in the NFL. I mean, it really might be, right? Tampa Bay probably has a better roster than Kansas City, but, but it's massive, the gap here. Cleveland by the way. They haven't won a game in 17 years on opening day. They just don't come out own one, own one, own one. Oh, oh wait. Oh, own one. 0 one, 0 one. I mean, that is Cleveland. They got one tie in 17 years. Other than that, they just don't win opening day games. Cleveland also had that game in control in Kansas City. They had that game in hand, which you know, I don't like laying double digits in the NFL, but if you're ever going to do it, don't you do it with a team going home after a win like that? Because if they go into the fourth quarter and they have, you know, a 14-point lead, they're going to go, hey, remember what happened last week, right? We're not going to let these guys back in this thing. Let's pile on. And it's like the college teams are try to get, a, you know, a style points. Cleveland might just pile on. But again, I'm going to go back to the old adage. I can't lay double digits in the NFL. I can't do it except for those premier spots. This is not a premier spot. You want to put Cleveland guys in your survivor pool? I'm all for it. I already did it on mine. You want to tell me that Cleveland's going to be in some teasers and you tease them down from 12 down to two? Uh, I hate teasers, but I get it. You want to tell me you're going to put Cleveland in a money line? Yeah, and Cleveland's not going to lose this game. I just hate laying double digits in the nfl this is a game where i could see cleveland running the ball running it effectively go with a keep you know baker off the field and don't worry about it baker we're just going to run it to death we're going to play great defense and i could see this game being uh, you know a a let's just say 24 to 10 full control cleveland kind of game and a late touchdown and, and you lose a backdoor kind of thing so be careful Let's talk about New Orleans and Carolina. How about the overreaction on the Saints? The Saints look like the best team in the league. Oh, man, they did. They beat up on Aaron Rodgers, and they destroyed all the the MVP of the league. Look at what they did with a backup quarterback. That's the narrative. The New Orleans Saints won with a backup quarterback against the former MVP of the league, last year's MVP of the league, and they did it in a neutral site game, and they beat him up big. That's the narrative. All of that that I said is true. But there's also this truth. Well, New Orleans did do it with a backup quarterback. You mean the backup quarterback that was in the system, and he was also, not that long ago, the first overall pick. Massive talent for your backup quarterback and your brand-new starting quarterback. Yeah, that's also true. Jameis Winston had, you know, a good day. Let's not get crazy with his five touchdowns because he threw for less than 200 yards, but he didn't have to. He's massively talented. This was a massively talented quarterback that now has – A very good head coach. He also beat the former MVP. You mean the former MVP that told his team he didn't want to be there all offseason? You know, the former MVP that looks like he's about 65-year-old meth head now, right? Uh, Aaron Rodgers clearly not in the game. His head's not in the game. The QBR for Aaron Rodgers would have been higher if he threw the ball into the dirt on every single play, and that's a fact, okay? So, yeah, maybe the narrative isn't exactly there. New Orleans now laying more than a field goal in the division on the road against Carolina. Okay. Carolina's a team. Sam Darnold looked pretty good. Christian McCaffrey, you know, he didn't explode, but he looked solid. He looked healthy. This defense uh, they held the jets down. I know Wilson made a couple of plays, but overall they held their jets down. They're well coached. They are a good team. New Orleans is a road favors eight and three against the spread as road favorites since 2019. So you got to like them and you got to like them in this spot. And I get that. Everybody does like them. I'm just here to tell you that Carolina might be that live dog here. Carolina is at home in a division game uh, that the saints are riding as high as you possibly can ride. And you know, they had months To get Jameis Winston ready for this game. Months to get his head in the game. Months to say, okay, we're not going to make mistakes. He didn't have to throw it all day. He threw for less than 200 yards, right? He Threw for less than 200 yards and five touchdowns. Well, they're going to run the ball. They're going to be effective. This is what it was. Sean Payton put together the perfect game plan to beat this team. Exactly. Now we only have six days to get him ready for Carolina. Okay, and a Carolina team that has some good defensive players. Brian Burns, you might not know him. One of the best five defensive linemen in the league. You may not know Jeremy Chin. I'd put him up there. Best five defensive backs in the league. Carolina has an interesting type of team where they can frustrate New Orleans, keep them off the field by running Christian McCaffrey, by being efficient, Sam Darnold. This is a spot where I see a lot of people loading up on New Orleans and people are pounding New Orleans. I saw people in my leagues taking them in survivor contests and there's going to be people on the money line here and they're going to love New Orleans, New Orleans, New Orleans, New Orleans. And I'm sitting back and I'm going, you know, this is a spot where Carolina can be dangerous. I think New Orleans wins, okay? And I think they are the better team. But the Carolina Panthers are dangerous in this spot, and dangerous is a bad thing to go out there and bet on. All right, let's talk about Minnesota-Arizona. You want to talk about dangerous, here you go. Another team in Arizona absolutely manhandled Tennessee. Now, I told you guys last week, I kind of like the over in that game. Uh, Depending on what line you got, you either got a push or you got a loss because the guy missed a field goal at the end. But I never expected Tennessee's offense to not show up. Everything Arizona did... On offense, I called. Everything they did, every success they had, I told you that's exactly what was going to happen. Kyler Murray was going to go crazy, and Hopkins was going to look good, and AJ Green was going to look good, and everybody. And Kyler Murray did. This is what Arizona does. Arizona offensively, I have no worries about. I never do, okay? It's defensively, what can they get done? Derrick Henry just didn't run the ball. I mean, he just flat out didn't run the ball. And forget about that. How about the play calling? They, they just didn't call play action passes. They didn't use Derrick Henry at all. Now, it didn't help that Chandler Jones had five sacks and was in the backfield all day, which absolutely it did. If you believe that Arizona and their defense is fixed and they're a top 10 defense, don't have any problem laying the four points here. Laying four points at home against Minnesota have no problem doing it. My thing is this. Minnesota was in full control of that Cincinnati game, like I mentioned earlier, okay? Dalvin Cook is a guy that can take the air out of the ball. He can eat a lot of clock. He can frustrate this Arizona Cardinals team, keep Kyler Murray on the sideline. Kirk Cousins is an efficient player. He's a guy that could go out there and dink and dunk and pick his spots and hit Thielen when he needs to hit him. And the Minnesota defense, their defensive backs are bad but they can get after their passer and they can make life uncomfortable for Kyler Murray. So you look at what Arizona was last week and you look at what Minnesota was. If you looked at these two teams before the season, though, this is a a toss up game. I think people had Minnesota going to the playoffs and Arizona, probably not. I had them both right about missing the playoffs, and I feel good with that today. Not much has changed in my mind because Arizona spanked Tennessee, who I thought was overrated, and Minnesota fell apart late against Cincinnati, who I thought was a little underrated. So to me, this is a game of don't worry about what happened last week. Really, truly believe what you believe before the year. Who did you like before the year? What was the team that was going to step up? This line shouldn't be four. This line should be two and a half or three. I think Minnesota's a little bit better. There probably should be two and a half. But with that said, Kyler Murray may have turned the corner. He may go for that MVP kind of season. He might have everything clicking this year. Maybe Arizona with Chandler Jones and J.J. Watt are a different defense. Maybe they have their things working. Would it shock anyone if Arizona went out there and won this game by 20 points? No, absolutely not. You shut down Dalvin Cook, you could shut down this team. I just think it's uh, one of those weird spots where Minnesota is getting no credit and they're kind of a toss-up team. And if Dalvin Cook could have running success, they can absolutely turn around and fix their season. When you're talking about fixing a season, well, that's in the future. Now let's go bet to the future. We're sending you back to the future. Okay, all right. Bet Bet to to the to the future. All right, guys, let's bet to the future. I talked about the MVP award and I talked about Kyler Murray. Well, he had an opening of plus 16 to 1, now it's down to 10 to 1. Jameis Winston we just had a conversation about. People are buying in. He's from 40 to 1 down to 25 to 1. Aaron Rodgers, he's been struggling 10 to 1 now to 16 to 1. Matthew Stafford 18 to 1 to 8 to 1. Josh Allen went from 12 to 1 to 14 to 1. And Jalen Hurts getting some action 65 to 1 down to 35 to 1. That is bet to the future all right guys let's continue on here we talked about tennessee a few times here and they're getting now five and a half or six points against seattle depending on where you shop in seattle first of all let's just explain look going into seattle is always tough being an east coast team going west is never the same as being a west coast team going east but guys this is still a tough road trip it's still far from tennessee all the way to seattle i don't care that's a late road trip it's still tough playing in seattle in september is certainly not playing in seattle during the rain months but you know what always rains in seattle people say this is the basis between them not going to a touchdown i think it doesn't get to a touchdown even though people do like seattle I'm looking at Tennessee here, and I'm going, okay, their defense was terrible. I knew their defense was terrible. It was going to be, and it's going to be. Russell Wilson should have a lot of success. I don't think Tyler Lockett's going to have quite the game that he did have, but Wilson and Lockett have been just crushing people for years. Now it's Wilson to Metcalf. They're going to be crushing people for years as well. Seattle's offense revolves around Chris Carson, though. Tennessee, you know what? I have no doubt that they're going to be able to try to clamp down on Russell Wilson, but I don't think they're going to stop him. And I don't think they're stopping Carson. And I don't think that they're stopping Metcalf and I don't think they're stopping Lockett, but wait, here is the thing with Tennessee. Seattle's defense is not very good guys. You could throw on them, but you can also run on them. And I mentioned last week, Derek Henry just did not get involved. You have Derek Henry and you just don't involve him. That's a problem. Todd Downing is the new play caller there. And Ryan Tannehill, yeah, he was one of two for 39 yards throwing play-action passes. Let me repeat that. You have Derrick Henry, Ryan Tannehill, attempted two play-action passes. You have to correct this. Now, I haven't seen enough of Todd Downing to know if he's going to correct this. And that right there is the problem. If he does, though, I can see this being a lot closer game than people think. Seattle getting that... Just push up front and giving Henry the ball will waste the clock. We'll keep Russell Wilson on the sideline. My initial instinct to this game was exactly what it was last week when Tennessee played, which is I got to jump on the over. And I said, you know what? I'm going to pump the brakes here because – Seattle, when they are the happiest, right? When Pete Carroll is smiling from ear to ear, they're running it effectively. They are running it really well, and they're running it really well with Chris Carson all day long. When Tennessee is playing their best and their best offense, it's running through Derrick Henry. So if both of these teams revert to what they want to be, and both of these teams revert back to, okay, this is what's going to be our success they're going to be running the ball. So the total here does worry me a little bit. I think Seattle's the better team. Them being at home, Russell Wilson being at home, I think they win the game. I just don't like laying almost a touchdown in this spot against a Tennessee team. I expect them to be a lot better than they look last week. All right, let's talk Atlanta, Tampa Bay, another in-division game. This time it's in Tampa Bay. But Tampa Bay is laying a boatload of points. And when we say boatload of points, they're laying 13 now against Atlanta. Tampa Bay looked good. They looked very good. Tom Brady looked amazing, okay? But Tom Brady seems to always look amazing. We knew this offense was going to be absolutely powerful. We knew this offense had all sorts of different options. Gronkowski caught 90 uh yards passing two touchdowns Chris Godwin 105 yards and a touchdown Antonio Brown 121 and a touchdown it's the first time in Bucks history which three players recorded 90 plus receiving yards in a single game we knew Brady was going to find his spots but there are some problems with Tampa Bay I'm not going to jump on their defense even though their defense should have been a lot better because Dallas does have a very good offense but they can't run the ball and their running backs fumbled all day long, right? Now, they said Ronald Jones is going to be back there. He's going to be perfectly fine. I don't think they used Giovanni Bernard enough. And I think they definitely had running problems. But <laughs> Atlanta looked much, much worse. I knew Atlanta was going to be in the, for a bad season. You take away a Julio Jones... You don't replace things on defense, which they are a bad defense anyway. Uh, you're relying upon Kyle Pitts to, to kind of lead the charge there after Ridley. Where was Ridley, by the way? Matt Ryan's going to get killed with that offensive line. And there's a meme out there Matt Ryan laying face first and just looking like, you know, he's going to go get killed. <clears throat> and, you know, it, it's it's a bad spot. It's a bad spot for Atlanta going on the road against Tom Brady and the Bucs. And, I, again, I don't really care – that you're sitting here and you're going, well, this is in division because it's at home. But I do care laying this many points. I don't think that there's a world where Tampa Bay doesn't win this game, right? They're at home. Tom Brady's thinking about, uh, look, I want undefeated this year. Atlanta's got a bad secondary. Atlanta has no pass rush. Brady will have all day to sit back there. There's no world where I'm going to Bay loses this game. But it is Matt Ryan. And he's catching points. And I don't think Matt Ryan is finished. I don't think Atlanta was as bad as they looked in week one. But I do think Atlanta is one of the the top five worst teams in the league against the clear, to me, crystal clear, best team in the league in Tampa Bay. Brady, by the way, averaged 394.5 passing yards in the last two meetings against the Falcons last season. That's last year. We're not going back to the Super Bowl. We're not going back to the comeback. No, almost 400 passing yards in two meetings against the Falcons. And I told you before the year, I took Tom Brady to win the MVP. I think he wins the MVP. I think he wants to win the MVP. Well, this is stat padding time for him. I I don't like laying double digits. I really, really don't. And I had to make this decision so many times with Tom Brady. I don't like laying double digits and I won't take this game. But where I always say, division game, getting double digits, how do you not take Atlanta? Where you always say that, this is a spot where I'm saying the other thing. How do you bet against Tom Brady? You almost just can't. All right, let's talk about that Dallas team. It's a solid three here against the Chargers. You might get two and a half. People are liking Dallas a little bit. The Cowboys, what we know is this. Everything revolves around Dak and the offense, everything. The Cowboys have lost 17 straight games when they don't score 30 points. Hey, you don't score 30 points, you're not winning, okay, if you're Dallas. So the question is here, do you think that on this L.A. defense, the Cowboys could score 30? If they do, they got a shot to win. The Dallas Cowboys are in a spot where we know, look, Michael Gallup went down that. That's going to sting a little bit, but they still have so much, so much on offense. Ezekiel Elliott didn't look like Ezekiel Elliott, and Pollard really didn't get involved as much as he should have, even though he's got some bursts there. It's been Dak. It was Dak, and it will be Dak again here. Dak is going into a position, though, where his offensive line gets Zach Martin back. He's got to feel good about that. But he is facing Joey Bosa. He's facing Derwin James. The Tampa Bay defense is better than the Chargers, but there are some things that the Chargers do a little bit better that might worry you a, a little bit here. To me, if you like Dallas, you're taking the over, okay, because Dallas has to score 30 or more, and I think they score probably 40 if they win this game. But there is the other side of this, and the other side of this is a Chargers team that has really good offensive players. Right? Eckler had almost 60% of the shares, 57 yards. Then they went to Roundtree. They went to Jackson. You have Justin Herbert, Keenan Allen might catch. You know what? You want a prop play? Keenan Allen probably over, what, eight catches? I think he probably gets 10 to 12. I, I think they're going to abuse Dallas's secondary. And when you're talking about abusing Dallas's defense, well, the Dallas Cowboys' pass rush is just where are they going to get it from here? Randy Gregory is in COVID, he's not expected to play. DeMarcus Lawrence suffered a foot injury on Wednesday's practice. They're not sure of his availability. Your two big pass rushers might be out in this game. This might be the Chargers smiling from ear to ear here. All right, guys. Let's go and jump. I'm going to jump to Monday night before I come back to the Sunday night game. Let's jump to Monday night. Green Bay, Detroit. I mentioned it earlier Everyone just kind of assumes Green Bay, you know what? They were on cruise control, no big deal. They're going to come back this week. They're going to light it up. Aaron Rodgers is going to throw five touchdowns. All is right in Green Bay land. So that's why the number opened up at 11 and it went up to 11 and a half, and I'm seeing it at 12 in some spots. And again, division game, laying double digits, prime time, a lot of bad stuff there. The question that everyone's asking themselves from a betting perspective is, do you just think that they had a bad game and Sean Payton had just a good game plan and Aaron Rodgers is just going to turn it around and everything's going to be fine. Do you believe everything's just going to be fine against this Detroit team? Remember, this is a Detroit team that just pushed San Francisco until the edge. This is a Detroit team where Jared Goff looked pretty good. T.J. Hawkinson looked pretty good. A Detroit team that would not stop fighting for their new head coach. I know the guy's a loon, right? But they would not stop fighting for him. Do you believe that the Packers are just going to roll this team over? Well, let me go for a little back context here. And I get it. Look, new, new head coach, new quarterback, and everything else. Detroit is 7 and 1 against the spread. at last eight against the Packers. Okay. Three of the last four games were decided by seven points or less. That was with really bad Detroit teams and Aaron Rodgers' MVP level, right? Because he had played twice last year. That's what that was. Now, all of a sudden, the Lions maybe a little bit better than we gave them credit for. Packers, certainly worse. Packers, by the way, here's their drive chart on Sunday. Just to give you an idea of how bad this team was. Punt, punt, field goal. Interception, interception, turnover on downs. Punt, punt, fumble. That's atrocious. They put up a league low 229 yards in week one. And if you don't believe that Aaron Rodgers and his man bun melded in this offseason... You haven't been paying attention. That doesn't mean I don't think that Aaron Rodgers can go out there and light Detroit up. Detroit, by the way, they're missing their number one corner in Jeff Okuda for this game. I think Aaron Rodgers can light them up at any time. I think Aaron Rodgers might have a great game, might. But I'm not paying to see it. I'm not giving them 11 and a half or 12 points on a Monday night. Everyone's going to be chasing. It wouldn't shock me. By the way, if you like the Lions, I'm waiting on this. It wouldn't shock me to see this go up to 14 with people just assuming the Aaron Rodgers revenge tour is here. I don't know if it is. I predicted that Aaron Rodgers would be a distraction this year. His head wasn't in the game. He mailed it in, in the offseason. He doesn't want that extra blade of grass. He's going to just toss it up and kind of go for it this year. I predicted all of that happened in week one. Can it correct for week two? Sure it can. I'm not paying to see it, though. All right, last game on the board, going back to Sunday night because this is the best game of the weekend, Kansas City against Baltimore. Now, the Chiefs opened up as two-and-a-half-point favorites. Quickly, right after that Baltimore loss, it went up to three-and-a-half. And Baltimore, we talked about their injuries. And what were their injuries? Their injuries were very simple. They were, hey, you know what? We don't have a running back, so Lamar's going to have to run the ball. But my focus was on Marcus Peters, and that really is is the situation that has to scare you here if you're a Baltimore fan, and you got to be loving it if you're a Chiefs fan. Because the Chiefs have absolutely owned this team. The Chiefs are getting guys back. The Chiefs absolutely own the kind of defense that they're playing, and this is set up for the Chiefs to just put that hammer down. This is like that wounded duck right now, right? Baltimore coming in limping, short, weak, Just got beat on Monday night football. They lost all their running backs. They lost their star corner. They got no shot in this game, right? And now you face the Chiefs. Look, this is the first time the Ravens have been more than a three-point underdog at home with Lamar Jackson as their starter. So they don't know what it's like to be facing 0-2. They don't know what it's like to be underdogs at home facing 0-2. They don't know that. They do know what it's like to be beaten by the Chiefs, though. Because the Chiefs have won the last two meetings at Baltimore, both times, by double digits. They destroyed them at Baltimore, okay? Lamar Jackson, he's 0-3 against Patrick Mahomes. The Chiefs, they've led by an average of 14 points at the half in both of those games. That's terrible. That's terrible. In those games, Lamar Jackson completed 52% of his throws. He averaged 170 passing yards per game and only 65 yards. Oh, by the way, we talk about Lamar Jackson and the fumbling and the fumbling. Three career fumbles against the Chiefs, two last week. And a big one against the Raiders. Okay? Lamar was not the problem last week. But Lamar has been generally the problem against the Chiefs. And this is what I've talked about throughout his career. Until he does it, I can't expect him to go out there and win games like this. Right? I can't expect that. Kansas City is getting back Honey Badger and Frank Clark to a defense that, yes, it, it looked bad against Cleveland. There were times it looked horrible against Cleveland. Well, they're getting back two of their best players, so that should help. Patrick Mahomes, by the way, he's won 20 of his last 21 regular season games. He has the most touchdown passes through 50 games in NFL history, and he's only played 47 games. That's 117. Kansas City has won four straight. Mahomes beat Baltimore three in a row. They own it. They own it. They own it. Here's the one thing that I will say, okay? The Ravens can change all of the problems that we watched last week. There's two things, two matchups from a prop play perspective you have to look at. The Ravens ran a zero coverage all night. And the Ravens were beat deep by guys that should not have been beating them deep. I'm looking at you, Tyreek Hill. Because Tyreek Hill, if you run a zero coverage on Tyreek Hill, he's going to be dancing in the end zone way more than once. Okay, you're going to be looking at 3-4 touchdown performance by Tyree Kill and, and like 200 yards receiving. We've seen it happen before. You're going to watch that. And then you talk about the Darren Waller aspect. 19 targets for Darren Waller. That means they were picking apart the tight end coverage. I know we only caught 10. What do you think Travis Kelsey is going to do? Travis Kelsey's is a better player than Darren Waller. You throw the ball to Travis Kelsey 19 times, he's catching 17 of those balls. And we're talking about 200 yards for Kelsey and three, four touchdowns. I mean, you have matchup nightmare problems. There's no Marcus Peters. The Ravens are running zero coverage. This, to me, has Kansas City written all, all, all over it. But wait. Here's the thing. The Ravens are at home. They're catching more than a field goal. They're a team that you look at and you go, you know, they had some problems, but they also had some successes there. I know the Raiders are not up to the quality of Kansas City, not at all. And there are some matchup, just nightmares for the Ravens. But they are still very well coached. It is a position where you go, wait a minute. If you took off the uh, last you know, 10 minutes of each one of these games, Ravens are 1-0 and and Kansas City's is 0-1. So don't, let's not make it out to seem like Kansas City just had this magical day. They needed a kicker to drop a punt and then not even try to kick it away like side punt and kind of run it himself. There are some things there, okay? And one of the successes that Cleveland had before Chubb fumbled, who he never fumbles either, one of the successes that Cleveland had was running the ball, which I know that they're banged up, but the Ravens should still have plenty of success running the ball. I can't bet on the Ravens, even at home, even in prime time, even getting points, because I don't believe that Lamar Jackson can win the big game. And I know this isn't the Super Bowl or a playoff game, but it's his nemesis is Patrick Mahomes at this point. And he's never beat him. As a matter of fact, they've gotten crushed by them. The world is on Kansas City here. We're talking 95% of the bets coming in on Kansas City. I hate to be on that side. But guys, sometimes when it looks too obvious, it's actually just obvious. And sometimes the public wins. As a matter of fact, the public wins like 47% of the time, right? So this might be that spot where the public loads up, everyone loads up on Kansas City, this line gets driven up to four or five, and it's still just a whitewashing by Kansas City because they could absolutely crush them here. All right, guys, that is the week two rundown. Lots of games I like. Usually I love all these totals. I don't love a lot of totals this week, but it's kind of that learning stage. These first four games of the year, that first month of the season, it's learning. But when we're learning, don't overreact. Try not to put too much what you watched in week one into week two. Remember what you thought just, what, eight days ago, right? Remember what you thought right before the season kicked off try to keep some of that when you're talking about week two lines all right guys i'm tom bard for wagering week we'll be back and you can bet on that